If you got your Bibles, go with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And uh, we're going to start in verse 25, and while you're looking for it, I'm going to kind of recap this little storyline that we began last week, uh, which is a continuation of this series, The Digital Gospel. Show of hands, how many of you have gotten something out of this series thus, thus far? Awesome. I hope that you have. Um, we work hard every single week to make sure that we are pulling things out for, for all of us that will challenge us, inspire us, uh, correct us, so on and so forth. I, I believe in the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. It's vital to our, to our lives. And so last week, we started in on week three of this digital gospel series. And we got into the story, the, the, the parable of the prodigal son. And last week, we looked at how the father interacted with the, the younger son, the prodigal. And if you don't know the story, it basically goes like this. One day, uh, the, what is that? <laughs> We've got kids. Our kids' ministry is starting worship for the first time over here this morning. Um, so if you hear any worship um, and it frustrates you, just know that it's your child. So, um, and they're worshiping, so it's going to be good. Uh, so just focus on me this morning. Okay. So the, the Bible kicks it off like this. Jesus kicks it off like this. He says, there was a man who had two sons. There shout two sons. Two sons. So Jesus wants us to know that this parable is about two sons. Okay? Uh, I know that's really deep and, and meaningful right there. But uh, the parable is about two sons. And the first section of the parable is, is the, really the interaction between the father and his youngest son, the prodigal. The prodigal son comes to him, his youngest son, and says, uh, hey, I want all of, the, all of the goods that are due to me. I want my inheritance, my piece of the pie... All right, that, that's supposed to come to me when you die. Now, if you know anything about anything, uh, that's pretty offensive, especially to a father. All right, I mean, even put that nowadays. If your son or daughter were to walk up to you and be like, "Hey, I know you're not dead yet. I'm kind of looking forward to that day, but can I get my stuff now?" Um, most of us would be like, "What are you talking about?" <gasps> Out, right? And so the father doesn't do that. The father actually says, "Okay." He 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 gives the son his portion of the inheritance. Now, what's cool is there's some interesting things we need to understand. Uh, at least by culture, um, uh, the, the younger brother was only entitled to about one-third of the inheritance. There was two-thirds that was given to the older brother. Remember, the peril's about two sons. All right? And so it says that the father gives it to him, and he goes off, and he, he goes to a distant land. And, and the Bible says that, that the son spends all of his money on reckless living. Ends up finding himself in a destitute position. He's feeding pigs, living with pigs, and desiring food because there's a famine in the land. Literally to the point where he would eat eat the pig's food, all right? He comes to his senses, the Bible tells us, Jesus telling this story, he comes to his senses and realizes, hey, wait a second, the servants or slaves in my father's house actually eat better than I am currently eating. So here's my plan. I'm going to get up, I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm going to apologize, but because of the gross negligence that I have been engaged in, because of, uh, of how I've done life, I'm not going to ask him to be a son. I don't deserve that. I, I'm just going to ask him if I can be a servant, if I can be a slave in his house. So as he's going back a far long way off, the Bible tells us that the father sees him, runs out to his son, grabs him, kisses him, hugs him, loves on him, and puts him back into status of son. All right? Changes his position where this son would think he was a servant or a slave. He is now standing as a son. We end there. Now we're going to pick up in verse 25. The remainder of the story is about the interaction between the older brother, the older son, and the father, and this is where it gets really good and really challenging for us this morning. Verse 25 of Luke chapter 15, and it says this. Now his older son was in the field. 
And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. In other words, his father came out and encouraged him, pleaded with him. But, his, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Now, please, when we're reading this, this storyline, don't, don't sterilize it in your mind. I think we can do that to Bible stories sometimes. I think we can do that to some of the things. We can sterilize them. We can clean them up. We can make them nice. These are two passionate people. We've got a son who's really frustrated right now, and we have a dad who has just gone through some emotional trauma and some stress. These two are in a conversation. You have a son who is refusing to go into the house and celebrate his brother who has come home, a father who is pleading with them, and then he launches into his complaints, his issues, his frustrations. But when the son of yours came, the older brother continues on, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This morning as we continue on our series, The Digital Gospel, I want to speak to you from the subject, the other son. The other son. If you're taking notes this morning, write that at the top. The other son. As we look at what we learn from the response of the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, I pray that you would challenge us this morning. That you would convict us this morning. God, as we deal with this storyline, may we not sterilize it or make it nice. But may we see what it is that you're wanting to teach us this morning. God, may it be your word that is proclaimed this morning, not my words, your words, God. May we see you, experience you in this moment this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, come on and everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. Have you ever gone without a modern convenience and then quickly realized how important that modern convenience is? Right? Like a toaster. You ever thought about that before? Like your toaster just sits there, right? I was watching The Brave Little Toaster with my kiddos the other day, and I just, I, I don't know if you've ever seen this movie, but I found myself in that moment just thanking God for my toaster. I don't know why, but it's like, <laughs> toasters are awesome. And so, <laughs> I remember one time not having, when I moved to Australia, uh, just being 18 years old, my mom had all the modern accoutrements, and she loved to cook, so I had everything that we needed. And upon arriving for college, uh, getting off the plane and going to this house that I would be living at, with four other guys, there was nothing in our house. Bachelors, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's, it's pretty much just pizza and burgers. And, and so when I got there, I had no, none of the stuff, none of the things. And it was in that moment as I missed my mom's toaster and the blender, which I never used the blender. I even missed the little plastic things that held the cereal so nicely, right? <clears throat> All of these modern things, I was like, man, this is awesome. Now, right? If I were to take your phone away from you, you would freak out, right? That's that's where, like, which, by the way, we just all need to look up for a while, okay? Stop walking around like this everywhere. I was in the mall the other day. I thought I was in a zombie apocalypse because everybody was just walking around like, like this, and I felt like the lone guy staring at everybody, right? 
love our modern technology, the things, and when we go without it, we quickly, we quickly realize how important they are to some degree. If you've ever gone through some amount of time without your cell phone, there's a withdrawal period I think most people go through, right? There's a twitching, and, and then finally, like it takes you three days into vacation mode, not picking up your phone, then you finally get there, right? And so we love our, our modern things, but going, out, going without them, you quickly realize how important they are. Why? Because we are people who take things for granted. Right? Would, would that be a fair enough statement? Really quickly, because of the world that we live in, because of the culture that we live in, we take things for granted so easily. And it's amazing how quickly we do this. Few of us realize how important certain things are until they're gone. See, the human condition is one that we are quick to take things for granted. We are quick to devaluate, diminish, lessen, and cheapen the things that we have grown accustomed to and comfortable with. We do this in about every area of our lives, from the products that we own to the relationships that we have. We have a tendency to take them for granted. I know that I can be that way even with my relationships, out of sight, out of mind, right? We got to be so careful with these things. We can take our marriages for granted if we're not careful. Come on, somebody. Because they're right there, right? I know I could take my wife for granted sometimes. Remember the other day, I was sitting in the kitchen. She wasn't around. I thought she was around. That was how much I'm just used to her being around. And I reached out to touch her. And she wasn't there. And I was like, you're strange, Jason. What's going on, right? <laughs> but it's so, we, we could be so quick to take things for granted. And I've come to realize it's no different when it comes to our faith. <laughs> See, the story of the prodigal son is not just the story of the wayward son and the gracious father, but it's the story of another son who seemingly took his father for granted. He took this relationship for granted. Here's the big idea this morning. If we're not careful, we can fall into the same trap as the older brother. We can take God's grace and love for granted and substitute it with performance and obligation. If we're not careful. And one of the greatest reasons this series, the digital gospel, is all about how the gospel is supposed to inform our lives even in our modern generation. That the gospel is not irrelevant, it is not dead, but it is fully alive, it is still changing lives, it is still relevant in the world that we live in. But if we're not careful, we can even devalue that. And one of the greatest reasons that the message of the gospel has lost its saltiness in the world that we live is not because of the message, but because of its messenger. And so we've got to dig into this. We've got to understand. And the reason that Jesus helps us with this parable is because he wants us to understand and know some things. There was a father who had how many sons? Two sons. sons. We all love the story of the prodigal, don't we? We get all mushy about it and all excited and all inspired. And we, we love the story of the prodigal and we quickly skip over this part. Or we say, ah, oh, well, you know, that's the older son. Of course, I know lots of people like that. But this morning, I'm going to help identify all of us with the older brother. Because I think that many of us understand things from the older brother's perspective more than what we would let on. We were all prodigals. Some of us still are prodigals. So yeah, we can identify with that. But when it comes to the older brother, it frustrates us. And I'll explain that in just a few minutes. So our taking for granted that we've become more representative of the older son than we have of the father or even the younger son. 
We've been called to be like Jesus, to be ambassadors of grace, agents of grace in the world that we live in, and that have, we've been called to reach and serve. So this morning, I want to take a look at what we learn from this interaction between the oldest son and the father. First thing I want us, I want us to realize this morning, if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one is the celebration of the father exposed the critic in the son. The celebration of the father exposed the critic in the son. Luke 15, 25 through 20. And now his older son was in the field and he came and he drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. I love that part. Music and dancing. Why? Because there was a celebration. And celebrations usually have what? Music and dancing. This is an important thing for us to realize because the older brother would quickly be frustrated by it. And he called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. See, the older son could not enjoy the celebration with the house because he was critical in his heart. The older son could not enjoy the celebration of the house because he was critical in his heart. You see, celebration and joy is a central theme in reality in the life of a believer. Come on, somebody. Especially when it comes to life change. The sad reality is that we have a tendency to be a critic of the celebration instead of a catalyst of it. We have tendencies to critique rather than to celebrate. I know that can happen even in church life sometimes. We can come in here and we can watch people worship. They can be clapping their hands. They can be singing. They can be celebrating. They can be worshiping. And we have a tendency to look over and be like, what do they got to celebrate? Why do they worship like that? And so then we try to create justifications for it. And we try to create theologies that describe to us and help us assimilate a critic heart. Rather than looking at what the Bible says and Jesus is helping us understand that because of this moment that had taken place, because of this prodigal son coming home, there was a party, there was a celebration, there was music, and there was dancing, and it was loud. It was loud. Notice that the son was off in the field and he heard the celebration. He heard what was going on. It was that boisterous. It was that loud. It was that exciting. And that was part of their cultural inheritance as well. They were dancing. They were excited. There was this celebration, but the older brother couldn't engage because he was simply critical of it. Since when did Christianity become criticism? How have we gotten there? And many of our churches are plagued with the issue of criticism versus celebration. And this is a cultural message for us this morning. This is a challenging message for us this morning because I'm trying to build in, as the senior pastor of this, of this church, I'm trying to build in a cultural value that's based upon Jesus' teaching is that this is a refuge. This is a house that welcomes home prodigals. And on a weekly basis, we welcome home prodigals. And on a weekly basis, we celebrate as we welcome home prodigals. We may not kill fatted calves, but we do carbohydrates and we do worship and we do everything we possibly can because we are welcoming home prodigals. 
It's a celebration. And yes, it's loud sometimes. I don't do the sound. These guys do. They're deaf. So their hearing is much different than our hearing, all right? So give them a chill, all right? Some of you are walking out from the parking lot going, what's going on in there? It's a celebration. Be quick to understand what's in your heart at that point. Be quick. Isn't this dichotomy of what we deal with today? Somehow we believe that the church is to be a place that we just have to endure it. Instead of enjoy it. We can't be the critic. The celebration of the Father exposed the critic in the Son. Second thing I want us to see from this story this morning is that the Father's humility exposed the Son's hardened heart. Welcome to church today. The father's humility exposed the son's hardened heart. Luke 15, 28 to 29. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father. Now this word entreated is a very powerful, powerful word. He came out. He pleaded with him. He encouraged him. Son, please come in. Now I want you to get this. All right? I want you to understand this. This would be like... Us going to a wedding, all right? Say we go to Seth and Kaisa's wedding. They're getting married. They've actually been married for a while now, okay? Um, but we're... The 16 on Friday? Yeah, come on. 16 years. It's awesome. They got married when they were like four. Um, and so we're going to their wedding, and, and, and we get there, and, and you start hearing the celebration of the wedding. And as you get there, you don't like the celebration. You're critiquing at the fact that they didn't use rice. They started to use some nouveau thing because rice is old school, so they wanted to throw chocolate at everybody instead of rice. So you're critiquing that issue. And they had meatballs instead of chicken wings, and you're allergic to chicken, and you're a vegan, and all these other things that we can start complaining about walking up to the wedding and so you decide, as your Kaisa's best friend, I'm not going in. And then this is the issue. This is the picture that Jesus wants us to get. The father comes out of the house. It would be like Kaisa leaving her wedding to come encourage you to come in. How many of you know that is the most humiliating and degrading thing that you could possibly do to the bride at that moment? same cultural issue. The father leaves his position as host, as party, uh, as party leader, right? He's leading the way. He's leading the charge because he doesn't want the atmosphere to change because this is a celebration of his son. So he walks out of the house to entreat the older son who at the end of the day should be carrying the same vibrancy as joy as the house because he's two thirds part owner in it. So he's standing outside pitching a fit. Oh, it's time. I don't want to go. What is it going on? It's a party. Why are we having a party right now? I've been out in the field all day. And his son comes, or the dad comes out and says, hey, come inside. What are you doing out here? We're throwing a party for your brother. He's back. And then the son answers his father. Are you kidding me? He answers his father. This is, this is the picture that Jesus wants us to see. Now, these are the overtones that his audience would have understood at this moment. So we've got to liken it to this. So all these guys are sitting there listening to Jesus with bated breath going, what happens next? What happens next? Does the father hit him? Because <laughs> he should at this point. His father came out and entreated him. He hum- like humiliated himself. He stepped into a humble position, but he answered his father. Now, when Jesus says this, it's almost like an audible, oh, what? He, he answered him? You mean he 
Like he said something back? He talked back to the Father. Isn't that how we roll sometimes? We have a rebuttal to God's word and encouragement in our lives. But God. <laughs> God says this, he opened, we read his word. But you don't, you don't understand. And we're going to get into more. This, this just starts to just tackle itself. It starts to get, like, just grow as, as, as Jesus is sharing this story. It's obvious at this point that the older son had developed a little bit of an attitude issue. A hardened heart towards the father and his younger brother. Once again, the father shows his graciousness by coming out of the house. He shows how much he loves even his older son. But he didn't like that. But isn't that like God? When we are hardened in our heart, he treats us with grace and kindness. See, it's hardened hearts that make us cold to the world that we've been called to love and serve. It's hardened hearts that make us ambivalent to those who are hurting around us and make us ignorant of our own brokenness and need for God's grace. It's hardened hearts that we need to be very, very careful of. And this morning, I hope that we can all take inventory of our hearts. Is our heart hard? Let me ask you this question. Has cynicism and jadedness, bitterness and frustration turned a once soft heart into a hardened and calloused one, unable to sympathize and feel, relate, and engage? What's the condition of your heart this morning? I wrestled with God with this message. Are you serious? I threw a big gigantic butt in front of him as well. You want me to talk about this? We've been, like, the messages have just been awesome the past three weeks. (laughs) Don't you know? (laughs) People are encouraged. They're excited. They're pumped. They're they're, they're coming back to church. This is awesome, God. Why do I want to throw this at them? Why do I want to, why do I want to talk about this issue? Because at the end of the day, we have to have soft hearts if we're going to reach the world around us. We gotta leave these four walls in just a few minutes so that we can engage the world around us. And if we have an older brother syndrome, we will never be the type of people that God has called us to be. We will never be the type of church that God has called us to be. We will never be the type of husbands or wives, fathers or mothers, friends or sisters or daughters that God has called us to be if we walk around with hardened hearts. This morning, what is the condition of your heart? The third thing that we need to understand this morning is this. The father's gift exposed the son's grief. The father's gift exposed the son's grief. Luke 15 verse 29. Listen to the son's rebuttal. Look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. In other words, it's not fair. We ever heard that before? <laughs> it's not fair. See, grief is the feeling or emotion that we have when we realize that we have lost something or someone. The older son's grief was the product of his disillusionment and improper view of his position in his father's house. He just realized something very important. He had been living as a servant instead of a son. 
He viewed himself as a slave in his father's house rather than a son. And one of the greatest reasons that the message of the gospel has no effect in the world that we live in is because we communicate it from the position of a slave rather than the position of a son or daughter. Christ did not die so that you can be enslaved to something else, but rather so you could be a son and a daughter. Now listen, Romans 8, 15 through 17. For you did not receive, this is the Bible, not me, okay? For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We are not slaves, we are sons. Some of us need to understand this this morning. We've somehow created a theology where we believe favor is the product of our function. And then we look down on those who do not function as we do. We hold people to the standard of our misplaced perfection and we become bitter as we watch those who have never behaved as we have experience God in a way that we never have. Are you guys tracking with me this morning? This is such an important and vital message for us. See, we experience the presence of God, not because of our good behavior, but because of his good nature. His good nature. Because while we're in our most broken state, he draws near to us. He shows us that as the father operates with the prodigal son. See, when we take the position of slave, we quickly develop a comparison complex. This is what the elder brother had developed. He was comparing himself to the brother in relationship to what the father had gifted him with. See, comparison is a very dangerous thing. Instead of having comparison on his younger brother, the older brother fell into, or excuse me, instead of having compassion on his younger brother, the older brother fell into the comparison trap. And this is true of any type of comparison. It can be comparing yourself to someone else in the light of what you have and they don't, or what you do and they do not do. And this is what the older son was doing. We'll talk about that more just in a minute. But notice something very important to this interaction between the father and the older son. The older brother boasts of himself, his obedience, and his virtue. Yet he'd actually done the very same thing that the younger brother was willing to do, and that was become a slave. In striving for perfection, the older son had become a slave. Now we know this because Jesus later on in Luke chapter 18 highlights the same type of principle. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Luke 18, 9 through 14. And they treated others with contempt. Listen, two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. They hated tax collectors at that point. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The grief of the older brother was the fact that he just realized that he had been a servant, a slave, all this time. Never living in the position of son. See, the older brother diminished the extravagance of his father's favor 
because he compared what he had to what the younger son was given. And the fourth thing that we understand about this story that we learn from the son is this. The father's grace exposed the son's judgment. Father's grace exposed the son's judgment. Luke 15, 32. But when this son of yours, notice he doesn't call him his brother. And I need you to lean in and listen fast on this one because this is so vital for us. The older brother says, this son of yours who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all is mine is yours it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead is alive he was lost and is found Romans 2 verses 3 through 5 do you suppose oh man you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself that you will escape the judgment of God or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience not knowing that the kindness of God the kindness of God the kindness of God is meant to draw people into repentance because of your hard and impotent heart, there's the hardened heart issue, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Hardened hearts produce judgmental lives. Now I want you to see this here. And I close on this. This moment when the older brother comes to the house hearing the music has no clue what's going on. Can we all agree on that? He has no idea that the son is back, that the younger son is back. So he strolls up to the house hearing music. What's going on? His servant comes out and says, hey, listen, your brother's back. So dad threw a party for him. He killed the fatted calf for him. There's dancing. There's singing. There's all of these things. It's a celebration. This is the first time that the older son presumably knows anything about his younger brother being back. The dad comes out and treats him, encourages him, starts having this conversation. And then we get into this dialogue that the son then launches into on the father. And he says this really wild thing. And I've never really understood it before until I started to dig in. He says to the son, how can you celebrate my brother as he has spent everything that he has on prostitutes? How did he know that? Why would the older brother designate the issue of prostitution? Because we know as Jesus is telling the parable on the, on the front side, he says reckless living. He doesn't indicate what it is. So we hop on it and we say, oh yeah, the younger brother, man, he just went nuts. He went down to Vegas, prostitutes everywhere. It's just one big prostitution thing. How did the older brother come to this summation? How did the older brother devise that it was prostitutes that he would spend his money on? Now, what we need to understand about Jesus and his communication is that he's actually really smart. Luke 2.52 tells us that Jesus, as a young boy, grew in wisdom and in stature. He developed an argumentative palate. He understood how to have conversations. And culturally, dealing with the Pharisees and the Jews, he knew how to, how to build things and, and, and swing things so they understood what was going on. And so it's this moment that many theologians and scholars believe that Jesus was using, actually, what we have designated today in modern psychology as projection. You ever heard of that before? And here's the deal. The son, the older son says, you're this younger, my younger brother. He spent all of his money on prostitutes. Why does he say this? Why does he do this? 
What Jesus is trying to communicate as he's speaking about judgment is this truth right here. Many of us have a tendency to judge of others what we try to justify in ourselves. Did you get that this morning? We have a tendency to try to judge of others what we justify in ourselves. The older brother's communicating potentially an issue that he's struggling with. Or a thought process or pattern that he may have entered to had the tables been turned. Had he been the one who decided to rail off and do what the younger brother had done. Listen, church. Our job is not to judge and stand on the moral high ground. The father, the only one who could do this in this parable, ran to his son. He ran, grabbed him, kissed him on the neck. I won't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> While he was still a far way off. Our job is to be the church that throws parties for the prodigals. Our job is to be the church that celebrates the lost and the found, the once dead, but now alive. And our parties should be fierce. They should be fun. They should be passionate. Why? Because we should understand that we are the prodigals. We are the prodigals. And while we understand that God is trying to transform us and change us and sanctify us because he's justified us and we are growing, we are all still works in progress. May we not be the church that stands in the field afar off and critiques the celebration of the house. May we be the church that is always on the front foot when it comes to reaching people, loving people, burying ourselves in their situations, being sympathetic and empathetic and pointing people to Jesus. May we be air traffic controllers pointing people to the Father because that is what we have been called to.